This morning we're going to turn a corner. We're going to go a different direction for a while. Uh, so far we have covered 17 chapters of the book of Acts. We're on a lot faster pace than the seven-year uh, trip that we went through the Gospel of Luke. Uh, and that's what we've been doing on Sunday mornings. God has been teaching us. God has been leading us as His church. And I believe that is no fluke. I believe that was no coincidence. I believe God has been leading us, His church, uh, in the days that we're living in. Well, now uh, we're going to set that study down for about six months, and we're going to go a different direction. Uh, in seven weeks, as you know, as you hopefully know, uh, actually 41 days from today, uh, we will start our verse-by-verse study of the book of John done in 100 consecutive days. I've never heard of such a thing. Uh, we're going to start on August 7th. I'm going to preach for 100 consecutive days through the Gospel of John. It is a study that we are calling, So Loved the Good News of Jesus. So Loved the Good News of Jesus. Well, today uh, we are going to start a series of six sermons to prepare us for those 100 days in John. Our sermon series, these six sermons, they're going to be called Preparing for Something Great. Preparing for something great. Now, let me, let me tell you the deal this morning. We need something great to happen. We need something great to happen. Our church needs something great to happen. Our world today needs something great to happen. And my prayer is that in a hundred days of exalting Christ, a hundred days of holding up Jesus, a hundred days of worshiping Jesus, that God does something exceedingly abundantly more than we would ask or think. You know the Bible says that's the potential of this? That he could do exceedingly abundantly more than we ask or think. And my prayer is that it would not be normal, but it would be far from it. Uh, my prayer is that it would be so tremendous that the world would know, the world would hear that we serve a risen Savior, our Lord Jesus. That is my prayer. Do you know God still moves? Do you believe God still moves? Do you know God is still powerful? Do you know, do you believe that can still happen exceedingly abundantly more than we would ask or think? That is my prayer. And so for six weeks, we're going to prepare for something great. Now, let me tell you my hope. My hope, uh, they were singing, and I was looking across at our church that's gathered today. My hope is that y'all would join me in this. My hope is that y'all would come along, that you would join me, and that we would say, let's go. Let's see God move. Let's see God work. Let's go. Come with me. This morning, our message is entitled, What's the holdup? What's the holdup? I'm going to ask this morning as we begin, if you would stand with me, I'm going to read two sets of verses uh, this morning as we begin. We're going, to, we're going to talk about a lot of stuff today. I'm going to start off with these two sets of verses. Our sermon this morning is entitled, What's the Holdup? Now, the first verse comes in the midst or really at the tail end of a great set of verses in Lamentations, and I would encourage you to go read that. But our first verse is from Lamentations chapter 3, Verse 25, you don't have to turn there, I'll read it to you. It says this, The Lord is good to those who wait for Him, to the person who seeks Him. I want you to listen to that again. The Lord is good 
to those who wait for him, to the person who seeks him. And then the second set of verses, you don't have to turn there, I'll read it to you. I'm going to read Psalm 126. It says this, When the Lord brought back the captive ones of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with joyful shouting. They said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. Those who sow in tears shall reap with joyful shouting. He who goes to and fro weeping, carrying his bag of seed, shall indeed come again with a shout of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come today and we believe you are living. We believe you are active. We believe you are powerful. Lord, we come today and we know you are our hope, our hope alone. We know in Christ we have a risen, resurrected Savior, a King, a finished work in the death, burial, and the resurrection of our Lord. Lord, I pray now that we would come and we would seek your hand. We would seek your face. I pray as a people, we would ask that you would move in our midst. Lord, we pray that you would. I pray in today, in this hour, I pray in the weeks ahead that you would prepare us, that we would be a generation that could say, yes, he did what was exceedingly abundantly more than we asked or even thought. Lord, we come and I pray that you train us today, shape us today. And I pray the fruit of all of this is that sinners would find Jesus, that Jesus would be known, and that you be glorified. We love you. We praise you. We do worship you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I don't know what your experience is, but my entire life, I have heard of great revivals. I've heard about a revival that went on at the turn of this century. I heard about a revival that happened when there was a couple of preachers that, that travel around. I have heard of great revivals. Throughout the course of my life, we have prayed. I have prayed for great revivals. As a young kid, we were going to have a revival. We would pray for a great revival in our church. I have attended planned revivals Numbers of them, and I think about all the revivals. We're going to have a revival, and, and a church would have a revival. I've attended a number, numbers of, of revivals, and I've honestly never seen a revival. Not like I'm thinking. Now, don't get me wrong. I have seen God move. I've seen God do awesome things. I've seen him do astounding, tremendous, amazing things. I've seen that. But I'm going to be very honest with you. I've never truly seen what I would call a revival, a great movement of God where it was undeniable and the word spread and the word went out that God was doing a tremendous thing, that his glory was well known. I've never seen that. Maybe you have. Maybe you've been blessed to see such a thing. We've planned it. We've prayed for it. I've never seen what I would call a revival like that. I've never seen it. Here's a question. Why is God not working like that 
in churches today. Now, everybody says we need to be real. We want to be authentic. Well, it's going to be real today. It's going to be authentic. Here's the question. Why is God not working like that in churches today? Listen to this. 85% of American churches are plateaued or declining. Now, there's a whole bunch of articles that try to explain what the reason for that is. It doesn't matter. 85% of American churches are in the category of plateaued, flatlined, or declining. Here's the reality. I think that's probably not high enough. Here's the reality all across our nation. Attendance in church is down. In fact, at all-time lows. Salvations are down. Baptisms are down. Giving is down. Commitment to the church as a whole. Participation in the activities of the church. All are down, down, and down. I found one word over and over again. All these studies, uh, Barna studies, Pew studies, all these studies, there was one word that kept showing up describing the church of Jesus Christ. And that word is this, taking all of the statistics, that word is this, stagnant. Stagnant. Growth, stagnant. Attendance, stagnant. When I think of stagnant, I think of water that's gross. It's been sitting too long. It's gotten, it's gotten rancid and it has, it's just nasty, stagnant water. Well, here, here's the question. If God is powerful, if he is living and active, if he desires that none should perish, what in the world is going on? How is the church of Jesus Christ ever tied to the word stagnant? That should not be possible. How is the church stagnant? What's the holdup? Listen to me this morning, hear me this morning. The problem is not God. The problem is not God. Listen to this one. The problem is not the lost, wicked world. We talk a lot about the lost, wicked world. The problem's not the lost, wicked world as much as we would like to say that it is, as much as we'd like to blame it. Listen, the problem is the church. It is us. As believers, we are the problem. Well, today on the way to arriving at the remedy, we're going to talk about the problem. I'm going to tell us this morning why we are the problem. Let me be honest with you. Uh, sometimes I say, good grief. That's not going to be a popular sermon. Sometimes I think, good grief, I've already lost enough friends, I don't need to lose seven more tomorrow. But I want you to understand, maybe 10 today, to find the remedy, and there is one, we have to see the problem. To find the remedy to move on and, and have a solution, we have to be honest with the problem. The problem is nobody wants to talk about the issue at hand. And so let me tell you, God is not the problem. He has not changed. The rotten world is not the problem. They've always been rotten. The problem resides in the church of Jesus Christ today. So here is the problem. What is the holdup? Why is the church stagnant today? What is the holdup? Here we go. First reason is this, we do not care if God moves. We do not care 
if God moves. Now listen, we give lip service to that. We say we do all those revivals. Yes, we pray in, in, in honesty for a revival. We give lip service for it. But I want to tell you, the honest truth is we do not care in the church today if God moves. Here's a good question. Look around today. What would it take for people to turn to God? What would it take for people to turn to God? What would need to happen for people to say, you know what, I need a solution. This isn't working. I need an answer. What would it take for people to seek God? What would it take for even the church to cry out for God? What would it take to, make, to bring God movement in our midst? What would it take? What would it take that we would, we would cry out to God? What would it take? Would it take civil unrest where people hated each other so bad we burned down whole parts of cities and burned down cars? Would it take that? Or you know what it would take? It would take a, a, a worldwide pandemic. Surely that would do it where people are dying and people are sick and everything's locked down. We can't go to the mall. Surely then we would turn to God, wouldn't we? Maybe it would be a collapsing economy. Surely then as our money is worth nothing and, and lumber goes up double in five months and gas is up 90 cents in five months, surely then we'd say, this isn't our answer. Maybe it's a vile and evil, wicked world that would cause us. There's child trafficking and you hear about it right here. And there's, and there's pornography and there's all this stuff. Surely when the world becomes that evil, evil, we would say, yes, I need an answer. And we turn to God. Or maybe it would be the demise of the home. Most kids today not raised by both of the birth parents. The destruction of the home. Surely then we'd say, you know what? It didn't used to be this way. This isn't God's plan. And we turn to God. Or maybe, listen, it would be the loss of our kids. Do you know high 70%, I'm going to say higher, of kids that were raised in what we would call a Christian home, participating in what we would call a Christian church, high 70% reject their faith and walk off from it in the first four years that they leave that home. We're losing our kids. Surely that would break our hearts and we would turn and we would cry out to God. Evidently not any of those. Evidently, it's going to take more than that. Oh, listen to me this today, this morning. We care if God gets us over the hump. We, we want him to get us out of trouble. We want him to help us in the, the situation that we're in. Help us, Lord. I need you for this. I got a bad diagnosis. I've got a bad situation. My finances aren't right. We care if the Lord helps us get over the hump. We care about that. We care if God gets us into heaven. Oh, we don't want to miss heaven. All of us need to go to heaven. We care about that. But listen and be sure today, we are so situated in life that we do not care if God moves. Listen to that. We are so situated in life today that we absolutely do not care if God moves. Life is fine if he doesn't. I'll be fine if he doesn't. It's okay. And we do not seek a movement of God.
Remember in the book of Exodus, the children of Israel, the children of promise, they're toiling in Egypt. Their hope has been stolen from them. They don't have any hope. The next generation, the next generation, the generations behind them. Their future's in hardship. If they complain, it just gets harder. They're slaves in a land that's not their own. Remember the children of Israel, the Bible says they cried out to God, oh, that he would deliver them. If he doesn't deliver them, there's not gonna be any deliverance. They're doomed apart from it. They cry out to God. The Bible says that God heard their moans. And remember the story of Moses following that. Remember the book of Isaiah. The prophet, you can read the book of Isaiah, the, the prophet is calling out to God in chapter 63. He is calling, you know what, we need a savior, God, that you would save us. We need a redeemer, God, that you would redeem us. God, that you hadn't forgotten us, that you would remember us. God, that you would show us mercy. At the start of chapter 64, Isaiah cries out, oh Lord, that you would rend the heavens and that you would come down. They needed God to move. They cried out to God. Today we've situated ourselves that we do not care if God moves. Do we? What's the holdup? Second thing, we are not sorrowful over sin. We're going to talk about this. We're going to talk about repentance and repentance's role in, in all the great revivals. But I'm going to be honest with you. We as a people are not sorrowful over sin. Now remember, I'm not talking about the lost world. They don't know any better. I'm talking about the church today. We in the church have become comfortable with sin. We've become accepting of sin. Now listen, now not that sin, but these sins are fine. These that I enjoy, these that I participate in, we've become accepting of sin. Listen, we in the church today are so mired down in sin, it does not even make us sorrowful. It's Pride Month. About over, praise the Lord, but it's Pride Month. We say we deplore that, don't we? We say we deplore that. Do you know how many churches today, and maybe we should say so-called churches, are okay with it? Are trying to adjust around it, are trying to tiptoe around it? I, I saw a video this week of the president of the Southern Baptist Convention. And he said, it's about a year old video, now don't take my word for it, you can go to YouTube, listen to it in context. But he said, God whispers about sexual sin. Now he does yell about some sins, he says, but some he whispers about. He whispers about sexual sin. Well, I wanna tell you, and I don't know what his problem is, but I wanna tell you from this pulpit, you understand this. God does not whisper about any sin. He goes to the cross of Calvary and dies for all sin. As believers, we watch sin on TV. 
We watch sin in our movies. We laugh at it. It's our entertainment. Jesus died for it. We laugh at it. As believers, we melt into the world around us. We're doing the exact same things that the world does. In fact, you can't tell most of us from the world we exist in. We have the same expectations set as the world we live in. We laugh at it. We are not sorrowful over sin. Did you know the Bible says in the last days, people won't just participate in sin. They won't just act out sin, but they will revel. They will celebrate sin. That's what the Bible says. That is our day. We celebrate our sin. And sadly, it's come into the church. You ever listen to the songs we sing? Sometimes if we listen to them, we might not like them as much as we, as we do. One of them says, there's a song, there's actually in a couple different songs, but there's a line in some of the songs that we sing that says, Lord, break my heart for what breaks yours. Lord, break my heart for what breaks yours. And I guess the idea is that we'd see the poor hungry person with the eyes that Jesus does, or maybe we take up the issues of social justice with the eyes that Jesus has. And we, we sing that, and that's what we think. Listen, I want you to understand this, folks. It is sin that breaks the heart of God. Lord, break my heart for what breaks yours. It is sin that he cannot stand. It is sin that breaks our fellowship with him. It is sin that urges him to go to the cross of Calvary and pay for it. It is sin. We laugh at it. We explain it. We excuse it. Here's what I've decided. A weak view of sin produces a weak view of the Savior for sin. Isn't that what's going on? I'm not so worried about my sin. You know what? He can just eat that sin. I'm glad he forgave me of that sin, but I'm going to go on and I'm going to participate in that sin. A weak view of sin results in, produces a weak view of our Savior who died for sin. God doesn't move because we're not sorrowful over sin. We are fine with sin. Remember King David He's confronted with his sin. He's confronted with his guilt. And there's nowhere to hide from the shame of, of his sin. And you remember in Psalm 51 what he says, for I know my transgressions. I know them and my sin is ever before me. That's what he says. I can't get rid of it. I can move on. I can go a distance away from it. I can, I can do different things, but I can't escape it. My sin is ever before me against you, and you alone have I sinned. And so he cries out, read Psalm 51, therefore hide your face from my sins and blot out, please Lord, blot out my iniquities. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Create in me a clean heart, O oh Lord. We do not care if God moves because we're not sorrowful over sin. Third thing, next, third thing is this. We are no longer, are not bothered by the lost. We're not bothered by the lost. 
Now I want you to hear how absurd that is. The church built on the good news of forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Do you know that's what we hold in common? The church that's built on the hope of Jesus Christ, that he is the forgiveness, the remedy for sin, the church of those redeemed, not in any work that we ever did, not because we earned it, not because we deserve it. The opposite of that is true. The church of the redeemed, that the reason we are redeemed is the finished work of Jesus. The church that wears the robes of the righteousness of Jesus, that covers our own stinking filth, we are not bothered, concerned with the lost. Testimony of scripture is this. Those outside of Jesus, they have no peace, they can't, they have no future. The testimony of scripture is they're stumbling to death and they will spend, here's something we don't say today, eternity in the reality of hell. Your family member, the one you might like, your kid, your cousin, your coworker, your neighbor down the street, the stranger that's gonna be at United, they are hurting apart from Jesus. They are suffering. They are hopeless. They need a Savior just like we did. They need a Savior. There is no relief for them outside of a Savior. And somehow today in the church, we've shut our eyes and we've shut our ears and we live our lives and we do not care. We say things like, well, I don't want to upset them. Well, I don't want to make them uncomfortable. Well, I don't want to be a weirdo. I don't want to be that person. Most of all, we say, I don't want to have to lift a finger. I'm too busy doing the things that I like to do. My life wouldn't match up anyway. We do not care. Break my heart for what breaks yours. Jesus says in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, he came to seek and to save that which is lost. That's why he came. Paul says, oh, I would do all these things that I might save some, that I might win some. Church, we have got to be bothered, grieved for the lost people around us. Now I can keep on going. I could add to that list. There's a bunch of other things I could add. But I think it all comes down to this last one. So I'm sitting there penciling these out. What would it take to see God move? Why, does, why is the church stagnant today? And I could keep going, but I think it all comes down. I think all those included come down to this one last one. What is the holdup today? How is the church ever called stagnant? Why do we not care if God moves what's wrong with us? How can we have closed our eyes and our hearts to the lost that are around us? It all comes down to this. Listen up. We have lost sight of the glory of God. You want to know what the problem is? That's the problem. You want to break it down? Here it is. You want to get to the core of it? Here it is. We have lost sight of the glory of God. God help us. We do not care if God moves. I'm going to be honest with you because we're not that impressed by God. He's normal. He's like us. He's mundane. Yeah, I've been to church. Yeah, I've got a Bible I carry around with me. He is mundane. We're not excited by God. We've lost sight of the glory of God. Listen to this. See this. 
And this is the truth. Today the world has so enamored us, the world has so mesmerized us, the world has so blinded us with all of its charms and all of its things that we're no longer trying to see, able to see, desiring to see the glory of God. I thought about it like this. I don't live in a city because I don't like cities. But it's a lot like trying to see the stars, so magnificent, trying to see the stars in the midst of city lights. You ever been to Houston? You ever been to Dallas? You ever been to a city and you're in the midst of the city and you try to, you try to go out and, and maybe at midnight or somewhere and, and you try to see the stars at night and all the lights of the city are on and the glare of the city's on and you go out and you look for the stars and you know they're up there and somewhere you remember them. I remember that they used to be majestic. I know they're impressive, but for all of the glare of the city, I can't see them. Today we have lost sight of the glory of God. The psalmist rhetorically says, who is like the Lord our God? You know what? That ought to be the cry of our hearts. Who is like the Lord our God? Who is like the Lord our God? That's what the psalmist said. Let me remind us today. I'm going to take just a second. Who is like the Lord our God? I'm going to remind us this morning. Our God, I want you to listen with me, is self-existent. No one or no thing is responsible for God. Now that's huge to think about, but I want you to understand that. Our God is self-existent. He has, there's no source that created him. Our God, our God is self-existent. Our God is all-powerful. He is all-powerful. He does not diminish in power. He possesses all power. He is the source of power. One of his descriptive names calls him might almighty. Our God, our God is all powerful. Our God is the creator of all things. All things exist, now I want you to hear this, not because he labors, he didn't go out and labor. All things exist because of his word. He speaks and all things exist. That's how he creates. He speaks and all things are created, including us. You think you're a big deal? He spoke and that's how we were formed. Our God is the creator of all things. Nothing exists outside of him. Our God is the creator of all things. Our God is the sustainer it's not Urquhart or any of those other folks. He's the sustainer of all things. All things hold in their place because he holds them into place. Do you understand that? Our God, our God is the sustainer of all things. The sun comes up and the sun goes down. The tide comes in and the tide goes out. The, the seasons all fall into order, all at the whim of God. Our God is wise Possessing all wisdom. He is perfect in wisdom. Our God is just. He is exactly just. Our God is righteous, perfectly right in action, in attitude, in deed, in all things. Our God is absolutely righteous. 
Listen to this one. Our God is before time, after time, inside of time, outside of time, all at the same time. That's our God. You understand that? He's eternal. He's in time. He's outside of time. And he does that all at the same time. We can't even comprehend all of that. That is our God. Our God is great. Our God is great. That word has its own meaning. There's none greater, none that compares to our God. The psalmist says, great is our Lord, and therefore, greatly to be praised, our God is great. Our God is good. In the infinite expression of the world, do you think you know somebody that's good? You think you know something that's good? You don't know anything. Our God, in the infinite expression of the word, is perfectly good, totally good. Oh, our God is good. Our God is compassionate. Our God is merciful. Our God is gracious to us. Our God is sovereign over all. He rules over all, over all the kings and all of the nations. He is majestic. He is mighty. He is marvelous. He is holy. He is infinite, limitless in all of his traits. He is not like us. He's so far above us, unlike us, that we can't comprehend it. Listen, that God, that God, self-existent, creator, powerful, sustainer, possessor of all wisdom, sovereign, Ruler, that God, listen to me, that God, when we spit in his face, when we reject his name, when we spew and we spurn his love, when we turn away from him, do you hear this? That God, that God, the creator of all, having all power, needing nothing from us, he humbles himself and he takes on flesh and he's beaten by men and he's mocked by men and he dies for sin. That God, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. For that God so loved our world. Friends, we've lost sight of the glory of God. We've lost sight of the glory of God. That God did that for you. Why doesn't God move? There's the reasons. Here's the deal, though. All of that can change today. Do you know, I went back, I was looking at a lot of episodes in the Bible. Do you know the turning point always takes place on a day? The day before was like this, the day after is like that. Didn't see God, now we see God. Didn't care about God, now we cherish God. All of that can change today. Here's the deal. It starts with you. I can't do it for you. It starts with me. You can't do it with, for me. It starts with us. If you don't know Jesus today, run to him. If you don't know to Jesus today, he's your hope. He's peace, the only peace you'll ever find. If you don't know Jesus, run to him. If you do know Jesus, exalt him today. Exalt him today. Let me tell you this, friends, God still moves.
God still moves. If you don't know Jesus, turn to him. He'll save you. If you know him, exalt him today. God still moves. Let's pray. Dear Father, we come. I'm sorry, so sorry. We think more of the things and the garbage and the sin in this world and in our life than we do of you. I'm so sorry that the world laughs as the publications say your church has become stagnant. Lord, I don't, don't really know what to do on a broad scale, but I know that it starts with us. It starts with hearts. So I pray that today there's a turning of hearts to you. And I, I pray for farmers that as they go through their work, they praise the Lord. They seek the Lord. They exalt the Lord. I pray for insurance agents. I pray for teachers in their summer getting ready to go back to school that they, in their work, would praise the Lord, seek the Lord, exalt the Lord. I pray for dads that would put that as the imprint of their home. I pray for, for grandparents that we would say, hey, you've walked through a lot. You still seek the Lord and you praise the Lord. Lord, I pray for people that their hearts would turn. We would let go of the, the messed up things of this world. That we'd be less enamored with them and your glory would be above all things. Lord, I pray that a movement would start today. I pray that you're able to use people that would surrender to you and I pray that you would. Lord, I pray for some, maybe, maybe several here today that do not know you. I pray that in the hearing of good news of that God that so loves that today might be the day of their salvation. Stir in their hearts, work in their hearts, settle it today. Lord, I pray for us as a church that we would be renewed, that we'd be refocused, that we would exalt and hold up the name of Jesus. We love you, we praise you, we thank you, and I pray in Jesus' name, amen.